Praise the Lord, church. Amen. Amen. Like that old Kentucky preacher from my dad around where he was from, eastern Kentucky, said, if you didn't feel all that, your dogs ain't on the porch. How many of you glad you know what you have by the Spirit? That what we have by the Spirit of God through that born-again nature is a powerful thing. Mm, what we have, if we can see, if we can see, open up his eyes, the old prophet said, so he can see in the Spirit the things that God would show him. They got an enemy, they got problems, they got issues coming against them, but if you could just somehow open his eyes, Lord, that he could see that there are way more to be with us than be with them. I don't know what problems you walked in here today with, but I appreciate the pastor giving a good confirmation. To I want to speak to somebody's heart today. I want to go to Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to try to take off and land fast. I try to do that always. But you know, preachers mean well. Turn to your neighbor and say, Brother Kilman needs lunch too. That's your hope. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 6. I want to go to, uh, I want to read just three verses of scripture and I, I just want to share something out of my heart today. Starting verse 1, the Bible says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Now if you've got a good King James in your hand, you'll see that's all caps in the King James. The translators are letting you know that's the covenant name of God. He says, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Oh, Lord, to help me, I want to talk a little bit today on Revelation is Encounter. Revelation is Encounter. Now, we only have a few minutes left, so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to be selfish today. And I want you to say to the Lord in these next few moments we have together that the Lord would speak to you personally. Would you ask that? Lord, I thank you for this great body of believers that are gathered in your house. Lord, we're gathered in your name. We ask you, Lord, that you would somehow anoint this poor boy as I preach today. That you could do what my bishop prayed many times, Lord, that you would open the eyes to people. That they could see what you give in the spirit through the preached word. We ask this, Lord, in your name. We trust you for all these favors because you're good to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, every once in a while when I'm reading through the Bible, Pastor was very kind today. He was saying every once in a while you read something and you, you hit a section of Scripture where whether you're reading through the Bible in a year, how many read through the Bible in a year and try to do something like that? Or, or you're just studying through the Scriptures. You hit something in the Bible and every once in a while just have to go, uh-huh, okay, Jesus, you're going to have to help me with that one. 
I got to dive down a little deeper because I was studying the word of the Lord and I was trying to understand this passage and I, I want to make sure that I get what the Lord is trying to speak. I don't want my own ideas because my own ideas are limited. My own ideas are, are confusing. My own ideas are based in the flesh. I want the Lord to teach me from the revelation of his word. I want him to speak to me the truth because you shall know the truth in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say the truth will set you free. The Bible says it will make you free. It will build into your life the things that God has for you, the victory that the Lord wants for you. So I was, I was reading this passage of Scripture, and I was trying to figure out what was going on. Is God somehow saying to Moses that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob didn't know the covenant name of God? We know that's not true. Over 6,700 times in the Old Testament, God uses this name. And it's not like uh, some people would suggest that editors and redactors have sliced that name back into the Old Testament. No, no, no. No, Abraham knew the covenant name of God. But God is doing something particular here. He's saying to Moses, I, I, I got something that I want to do for you, Moses. But I got I to gotta prepare you for encounter." Because the revelation of my character and of my identity is tied to that, I, that encounter. And if you don't understand the moment, you're going to miss the opportunity for revelation. Let me see if I can prove it to you. He says in verse 5, I, I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant, wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out of the burdens of Egypt, and I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. And with great judgments. And I will take to you for me a people. And I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Which riddeth you, bringeth you out under the burdens of Egypt. And now, now that's what that text is about. Well, let me see if I can illustrate it another way. There's this wonderful young man. His name is Chris Arias. Uh, he's from uh, Mankato, Minnesota originally. Now you can tell by his name Chris was Hispanic. So he came to Indiana Bible College, and he was trying to do what all good Bible college students should do, is pay their bills. Hallelujah. Keeps the lights on. I appreciate them very much. Hallelujah. Keeps the doors open. And, and Chris is uh, working to, uh, in a security place to do uh, some types of events, and he was getting paid a pretty good hefty little price for the hour. And so they invited him to go down and work security at the field house. Now, I know, we're in Kentucky. It's mostly about football or something. I don't know. Maybe basketball. We could say that. This, does Kentucky have a basketball team? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Brother Chris, he's a good young man, but he doesn't know anything about basketball. He doesn't know anything about Big Ten country. He doesn't care. He, he, he says he, he's up in Mankato, Minnesota. He doesn't even care about hockey. Everything that Chris wanted, uh, wanted to know about is, is about FIFA. It's soccer. Everything's about soccer. So he's working the field house, and, and there's a guy that comes down the, uh, the, uh, where their offices are. He said, this is your job, Chris. Your job is to do nothing else but to make sure that no one goes past you as they're going into the game because this is the presidential offices and all the offices of the executives, and, and you can't let anyone down there. And so Chris says, okay, I'm going to do my job. So this guy starts coming down the hall. Now, he's six foot nine, should have been a clue. And not only was he said, well, you know, he was a white guy, but that's okay. You know, there are white guys that play basketball. And so Chris said, sir, I'm sorry, I can't let you down this hall. And so Chris, he looks at him and says, son, you see that big mural up on the side over there? That's me. My name is Larry Bird. 
I'll give you another one. My, my sister Joy was uh, flying out of, uh, of uh, the city of Indianapolis. She was flying to New York to preach a singles conference there. And, and uh, so Joy, Joy was in line. And have you ever been standing in line with someone or been in a meeting with somewhere and, and somebody starts looking over your shoulder and their eyes keep getting bigger and bigger? Well, that's kind of what's happening. So there's Joy. She's in line. And Jason Ray, Jay Ray, as we called him in uh, Calvary Tabernacle, he's, he's standing there looking. You know Jay Ray, uh, Pastor. He's looking over his shoulder, and she, she says, what? She says, Joy, Peyton Manning is standing right behind you in line. And I got five sisters, and my little sister Joy is the loudest and proudest. She says as loud as she can be, who's Peyton Manning? He was very gracious, turned around, stuck out his hand, and said, hello, my name's Peyton Manning. I'm your quarterback. Now, she's not here. I can tell this on her. My sweet wife was working uh, an event uh, at Calvary Christian School. The, the, the governor of Indiana was really kind to us, Mike Pence, before he became uh, the president, uh, vice president. Uh, oh, maybe that was off. No, I'm just kidding. Turn to your neighbor and say, it'll be okay. <laughs> so she's working uh, because the, the mayor and, and the governor created opportunities for our Christian school to go uh, earn money. And, and they help finance uh, trips for our Christian school to go to places like Gettysburg and uh, go to Washington, D.C. And it's a wonderful thing. So parents get to work. And my sweet wife, you know, she's got a guy making the big bucks at the Bible college. So she was working to raise some money. And so she's standing there working uh, at the Indianapolis 500, and a guy pulls up. He's in a pace car, and he's got this monster ring on his finger. And, and she says, sir, I, I, I need a, a ticket. He goes, I don't have a ticket. He said, she said, well, that's okay. I can sell you a ticket. He goes, I didn't even bring my wallet with me today. And so finally, the, the, the supervisor sees what's going on and walks over and says, oh, no, 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 it's okay, Mr. Foyt. You know, A.J. Foyt, he won the Indianapolis 500 four times. He's considered to be in the top 50 car, uh, NASCAR drivers in history. He's got an entire wing dedicated to him at the Indianapolis 500. But my sweet wife's like, no, you're not coming in. Now, what was going on in each one of these situations is there were, there were people that were in the presence of someone that they didn't know. And because they didn't know who they were in the presence of, they didn't know what they could afford them. Now, I just came by to tell you today that there, you're in the presence of the Almighty God. And what, what God had to tell Moses is, is I'm, a, I'm about to drop you into a situation, Moses, but if you miss this opportunity, you're going to miss it because you miss the revelation of who is working in your midst. Let me see if I can help you. So God reveals himself to us. If you, if you had 66 books, what would you say? So God, God gave us his word. That's why you should study the word of God. If you need to know something about the life that God wants you to have, he gave you revelation on purpose. But revelation isn't exhaustive. It's particular. Now, what does that mean? It's kind of, kind of like my brother-in-law, Jeff. I, I love my brother-in-law, Jeff. Uh, he has a, a doctorate, a Ph.D. in inorganic chemistry having a brother-in-law like that. So I thought, uh, Brother Pearson, I've read stuff. I've got a couple of degrees, you know. I, I got some stuff. So I walked over to the coffee table where he has his Ph.D. dissertation, and I'm like, I'm going to read it. And I opened it up, and I looked at it, and right there in the first paragraph, it had so many chemical equations that I didn't even know what it was. I was like, huh, must be good. Now, see, that's what I've come to ask you today. Do you think God gave you revelation to all you? 
God didn't give you revelation to all you. He gave you revelation to invite you. He's not trying to stagger you at his brilliance. He wants you to know, I am the God that's coming to act on your behalf, Moses. I've come down to, I've seen their captivity. I've heard their groanings, and I am come down to deliver. God is saying, I want you to understand when I give you revelation, it's about saying who's coming to work on your behalf. Well, let me see if I can, I, I can, uh, I can uh, dive, dive down a little bit. So there's a, there was a guy, his name's Dr. Cornreach. He, he founded Ask an Astronomy uh, at Corn, uh, 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 Cornell University. And, uh, and he decided that he was going to start answering all these questions that people had about, about the stars and all sorts of things. And so one of them wrote in and said, Dr. Cornreach, how many stars are there in existence? He said, well, I'm going to give you a very rough estimate. I'm going to give you, uh, we can factor some things like we know there are about 10 trillion galaxies. We can see that. He said, now the problem is if we have a star that's very close to uh, the earth, when we send up Hubble, we can't see behind some of those stars. So we're going to go with the safe number, 10 trillion galaxies. We're going to take those galaxies and multiply them by the number of stars that we estimate is in uh, the Milky Way. So that's a hundred billion stars. And so Dr. Cornreach says if we do that, we have a very, very safe, low number. There are one septillion stars. Now, what's a sept septillion stars? I'm, I'm a, the math teacher, my wife, is at home, so I have to be careful. If she ever sees this, she'll pick on me if I get it wrong. There's a thousand, a million, a billion, a trillion, a quadrillion, a, a quintillion, a sextillion, and a septillion. It's a one with 24 zeros after it. And the Bible says that God knows them all and calls them by name. Can I just ask you why you think maybe the Lord, or you've been tempted to think maybe the Lord has lost my address and God doesn't see me in my suffering. If he knows every star and calls them by name, you need to know the God of that type of economy has never lost track of you one time. Hell is not in charge of your life. Pain is not in charge of your life. Problems are not in charge of your life. There is a sovereign Lord who's over all things. It's no accident that when we get to Genesis 1.16, when God begins to describe creation, all he says about those septillion stars is he made the stars also. It's in God's economy, it takes him longer to describe the creation of man than all of those stars because God wants you to know in the economy of his revelation that you're more important to me than anything else in creation. Heaven and earth is going to pass away one day, but this word that speaks to you, revelation, is going to get you into eternity and it will never pass away. There's a purpose in revelation. What's the purpose of revelation? To speak to the nature of God. Because the moment of revelation is the opportunity for an encounter. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks of some people that they were ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Can, can I, I'm going to be a little pointed today. I just want to, I'm going to preach to good apostolic people. You can know about God and not know God. Now, I'm going to be just be a little strong today. There are people, you, you people baptized in the water and spirit in this room, you know way more about God than people with PhDs. Why? Because you're not just talking about God. You know God. You've had an encounter with him. And what you know by the spirit is more than all of the wisdom of men. And so Paul talks about it. And I, and we'll, 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 I'll try to behave and get down, drill down a little bit today. See, I, I think mostly when you read commentaries, 
it's, I think it's fun, brother. Uh, I hate to con- confess this, pastor, but I think it's fun. Brother Chris and I, every once in a while, we'll read commentaries on the book of Corinthians by people who've never spoken in tongues in their life. It's just entertaining how wrong they get it. Why? Because knowledge about God is not knowledge of God. I'm going to say it one more time. Revelation is encounter. If you've never spoken in tongues, today would be a great day to say, that's not just to awe me. Reading about the day of Pentecost is not experiencing that thing that God would give me. I want to have an encounter with God until I pray in the Spirit in another language. Why? Because that baptism of the Holy Ghost is what He gives me to walk in the power of new life. So I, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to zero in a little bit more. Uh, Psalm 118, verses 1 through 6. Because when you start talking about uh, God, mostly I think theologians are weird. I, I don't know what that means, Brother Pearson, because I pretend to be one. Uh, mostly the people, now forgive me, I'm, I'm being a little pointed. Bad Bobby's already out. Uh, most of the friends I went to seminary with, I went to graduate school with, I think they're mostly weird. <laughs> that means probably I'm weird. That's okay. So what that means is something like this. I, I think they study God and they write about God. But then they begin to talk about all these uh, omnis, the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere present, omnipotence, that God is all-powerful, and uh, the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. That, uh, and, and you start looking at that. They just write weird books. But I promise you this. I'm going to throw some words at you. Every time God talks about his transcendence, it's always about his eminence. What does that mean? Thank you for asking so transcendence is those, that, those attributes that only belong to God. We're created in the image of God. We have certain things that he's layered into us, like creativity. I wish we had time to deal with all that today. But all I'm saying is there's only one omnipotent being. <laughs> but you ready? The reason God talks about his transcendence is so you can know who's coming to you, his imminence. Because God is wanting you to understand. We say there's light and there's darkness. There's hot and there's cold. There's black, there's white. We have all these contrasts. And we say there's God and there's a devil. No, no, no. Hear me, good apostolic. There's God and there's nothing else like him. He's in a category all by himself. And you got to get that revelation. Because that revelation is the opportunity for me to walk in faith in my problems. Walk in faith in my situation. Because I know hell's not in charge. Because God rules over my life. That's why you get into the book of Revelation and the prophets in the Old Testament both say that when they look at Satan at the end time, they're going to look narrowly and say, is this the little one that caused the nation to tremble? And I understand the world is going to get it wrong, but don't you get it wrong. There's no devil in hell more powerful than our God, equal to our God. He's in a category by himself. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist begins to write, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Now, if you, you have it there on the, on the screen, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. That's the covenant name of God. <coughs> it's not the more general term, Elohim. It's not God all-powerful. It's not even Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. It's that first name. What is he talking about? The God that you're in a relationship with. Not everybody has what you have. That's why Jesus says in John 3, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see 
Jesus said. Why? Because the only way you can have some things is to have that encounter and be baptized in water and spirit and then you're born again. The carnal man can't see. He can't understand the ways of the spirit. Why? Because they're spiritually deserved. What we have is a knowledge full from the Spirit of God. And then I'm, I'll, try, I'll try to be, hey, we'll give thanks unto the Lord for he is tov. He's good. Now that's an echo of Genesis. That means let's just say that your problems are so unique today that God doesn't have anything he's created for that. That's okay. He can still create stuff. You don't have a problem that surprises him. You don't have a situation. His power is beyond. I'm telling you, you got a God who can create victory for you today. You need to understand he is good. The psalmist said his chesed is la'olam, his mercy, his covenantal faithfulness. That relationship that you have with him is literally to the age. The psalmist is saying, if you could understand that there is a God that you're in relationship that is so good that he will carry you from here in this age to that age called eternity. And everything's going to be okay. He says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his good because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say, get all of the covenant people every once in a while in the church somewhere. You got to start singing about the faithfulness of God again. Why? Because when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil. Why? Because thou, 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 thou art with me. And that assurity that's sung into me through a song or a sermon that preaches some strength back into my spirit is the revel- it's the encounter. It's God by His Spirit using some anointed man or woman to speak something into my spirit to help me walk in the everyday life. Let all Israel now say His mercy endure forever. Let the house of Aaron now say every once in a while. The preachers have even got to start saying His mercy Endure it forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say, every individual that serves the Lord, that his mercy endureth forever. Now, why say that? Why confess these things? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Revelation is the opportunity for faith to grow. And the revelation for the psalmist then becomes the opportunity for encounter because prayer should change me. Why do we say stuff to God he already knows? It's about, not about him. He didn't forget who he was. But every once in a while, when I'm looking at my problems, I can forget. And that, that, that spiritual dynamic called prayer, or that spiritual dynamic called praise, lets me sing my heart strong again. It lets me sing my spirit strong again. And that's what the psalmist is saying. That revelation becomes the opportunity. Because then he says, I called on the Lord in distress. And the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. And he sung himself into that by that revelation. And it's not simply to make us stand in awe of a God who knows all. But to be struck by revelation and wonder. But it's beginning to understand that that God is working on my behalf. Let me see if I, I can help. So, so here, here we are. I'm, I'm working towards the close. That's a trick, my preachers. Be careful. If revelation is encounter, why not come to him? If revelation is opportunity, you don't even know what's in my notes. It's right here, Pastor. All ye that are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. How many of you believe Jesus is a burden bearer? 
then can I ask you, good apostolic saint of God, that's in a relationship that no one else has, a relationship that God has obligated himself. He said in Hebrews, I'm going I'm to swear by two things, by myself, because there's none greater than him. And then secondly, because it's impossible for him to lie. How many of you believe he's a burden bearer? And every once in a while, we'll come into a Sunday service and we're carrying burdens not meant for our shoulders. And it's not because Jesus is not a burden bearer. The fact is, he is a burden bearer. We just don't cast our cares on him. Let me see if I can help us. What do you do with the omnipresence of God? That God is everywhere present. And what does that mean? Again, it's not, it's not about just the, not to know about his transcendence. Only God is that. But it's always to inform my faith. What does that mean, Brother Kilman, that God, who often seems far away, is unlimited in his ability to be present with his judgment and with his grace and with his help, even when I least expect him? Now, I know you guys are all saved. This only happens in Indiana. But every once in a while, you're... You'll be on a job or you'll be in the middle of a situation and you can't find a prayer room. And every once in a while, you just have to remember he's not limited to my church. He's not limited to my prayer room at home. And I can just say under my breath on the job, Jesus. And he's right there with his unlimited capacity to operate on your behalf, to war for you. You got the God of all existence on your side. The one who begins to see that they dare to believe that God is never, there's never and nowhere that he can lose sight of his creation. That understanding becomes a revelation. That revelation becomes the opportunity, Brother uh, Brother Pearson, for me to reach by faith and have an encounter even in my worst circumstance. I, I am really working to a close. Revelation. Uh, you know, like old timers used to sing, he's everything. He's everything to me. He's a, see, see, they're not just singing songs. They're not just singing about God. They're testifying to their faith. That's like I would say, he's a lawyer in the courtroom. He's a doctor in the sick room. He's a comforter in trouble and trial and stress and even death. He's a problem solver. That's why we sing songs like, somebody needs you, Lord. Come by here. He's like, well, Brother Kilman, don't you know God's omnipresent and, and, you know, ridiculous theologians? And sometimes even preachers that I want to poke in the eye, Brother Pearson, I I confess my sin. Not good to do. But Oh, well, these stupid songwriters, you know, they don't even know that God's everywhere present. It's like, yeah, you don't know that there's four functions to the presence of God described in the Bible, do you? How about you read the Bible, man? That's bad Bible. Because Cain left the presence of the Lord in Genesis 4. How do you leave? Because the psalmist says, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Take the wings of the morning. There's no place I can get away from your presence. Now, what does that mean? That's omnipresence, God's ability to touch. But there is a particular presence, a covenant. <coughs> That's time. Covenant presence. What does that mean? Where two or three are gathered together. Oh, in the name of that covenant God you have a relationship with. The covenant name that's called over you in baptism. And that God can be there in a unique way. Where, where Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. 
God's particular presence that's only available to his covenant people. That's why if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, it would be a great day to go down in the waters, have that name called over you. Why? So that abiding covenant presence we call the Holy Ghost can come. And then finally, God can come down in judgment. You're like, Brother Kilman, that's kind of heavy. I know. But have you ever been in a problem and say, Lord, this is too big for me. I need you to come by and deliver. I need you to show yourself strong. And he led the children out of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And that knowledge comforts and strengthens us to face the day. I'll give you one more. Uh, uh, Sister Pearson, if you come to the music, it'll pressure me to close. Thank you. <laughs> About the omniscience of God. You ever, you ever heard that Terrible, maybe it's not a terrible Sunday school song. I think it may mean well. Anybody ever have that Sunday song sing? They can sing it in terrible ways. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. I remember that Sunday song. There's an all-seeing eye. You say, your neighbor too. You know, they're kind of singing. So what are we doing? Trying to terrify small children with the knowledge of God? What is that, what is that passage meant to do? What does it mean that God's eyes are on the righteous? Psalm chapter 1, verse 6 is a challenge and at the same time a comfort. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He's not saying that the ungodly, God doesn't know what they do. That know is that beautiful Hebrew word that Adam knew his wife. She conceived. It's intimacy. It's relational. God is intimately involved in the way the lifestyle, the family situation, the pressures, the financial difficulties, the sicknesses. He is involved. He knows he's intimately involved in the way of the righteous. It's like reading Psalm 39. I'll let you read it on your own time. It's not a psalm to frighten small children. But it's the comfort God sometimes lonesome and tormented children that the mercy of God is plain that he wants to know us completely. And when the psalmist says, thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising, thou understandeth my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, the psalmist writes, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Now, what does that mean? That God knows everything I've ever thought. He knows every desire of my heart. And the point of the psalmist is he wants a relationship with me anyway. So you ready? Instead of pretending like you're strong today, he already knows you're weak. Instead of pretending like you have it all together today, why don't you reach for strength? Stand with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to close. I, I wish I had time to preach and preach and preach and preach on the eternity of God. Where the psalmist says, my times are in thine hand you can begin to see that there is a God who directs all of human history and that the enemy and all the problems in your life, hell is not in charge but all of these things in the word of God are there not to make you just think how great God is but for you to reach for that great God and 
receive what he would give you of the spirit today. So I'm, I'm closing. There's a, a, a sociologist that was studying Handel's Messiah. He, he looked at that great piece of work and Handel decided, along with a handful of other people, to stop Europe from sliding into liberalism away from the roots of Christianity. And, and they did it. They wrote things on their uh, works, Brother Pearson, like Sola de Gloria, uh, for the glory of God alone. And, and, and so they, they arrested the slide into liberalism. And, and one of those uh, great, great pieces of work was called the Hallelujah Chorus. If you've ever heard it, uh, this is what will happen. People will get into that wonderful production and they will hit the hallelujah chorus. People will stand up invariably. And they will begin to clap their hands. And they will interrupt the production. And, and the sociologist was saying, should we, is that right? Is that appropriate for people? Because they're going to go on with the production. Is it all right to, to interrupt kind of what they're doing? But then the sociologist said, but isn't that after all what Handel was trying to do? We're not just here to sing songs today. We're not just here to hear sermons today. We're here to have an encounter with God. And so he said, of course, Handel would be entirely happy. But then the sociologist said something beautiful, Brother Pearson. He said, when we get done clapping, that's when the Pentecostals just get started. And what they, what we try to do in our applause, they begin to do in their why? Because I'm not just singing about the peace speaker. I know what it's like to walk through bad situations and all of a sudden have that supernatural peace of God grip my heart and my life. And I've been able to turn to that little wife of mine for 22 years and say, baby, this is going to be okay. God's got his hand on us. I've come to encourage somebody's faith today. Say, you need to reach for strength today. Whatever you've been struggling with, I want you to come down right now. Come on, don't, don't, don't pretend we all need this help of the Lord. It would be terrible to have a God that invites us to reach for strength. And let's not just come down and say, I'm tired of carrying this burden, Lord. This wasn't even meant for my shoulders, Jesus. And I just realized today that I'm carrying something too big for me. And I need to lay it on you. Let's Let your faith go. what the Bible says. He is on my side. No situation, no circumstance, you need to stare right back into the eyes of hell and out of a cry of faith begin to worship and say, Lord, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. You are on my side. You are on my side. Come on, that's it. Reach for peace today. It's my right, God. It's my right, God. You said you would give it. God saying, I was waiting for you to take a step of faith and include me on the team. And let me into your circumstance one more time, good saying to God, and get the strength that you need right here today. Come on, that's it, that's it. Begin to pray. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Help me to believe, God. 
Father. Lord, I believe I really want to trust you, God, but you got to help my unbelief today. You know my frame, Lord, that I'm trusting God, saying that's okay. I know how to strengthen you. I know how to encourage your heart so that you can begin to understand what I want to do in your life today. Come on, that's it. Come on, say to God, if you already have victory today, the Lord is working by His Spirit. Maybe reach over to a brother and sister. Begin to pray with them. Help them, Lord, help them to see through the eyes of faith. Help them to remove doubt and fear. Lord, help us to lean on you more, God. Help us to trust you better, Jesus. Come on, that's it.
feel to tell us today it hit me just a moment ago that we need to thank the Lord we need to thank him that he is so mindful of us he knows where we are and yet he is willing to come to right where we are to wait for that opportunity. Listen, the Lord is patient and He waits. He waits for us. He waits for us to, to be ready to receive Him. Waiting for that right moment. And so He'll woo us. He'll draw us. He'll extend that outstretched hand toward us. So I begin to think, Lord, how thankful I am that you're willing to reach out that hand. You're willing to reach that hand to where I am and to help me out, to help me out of the pit, to help me out of my dilemma. To help me out of my circumstance. If I could just see how good you are. I think what we need to do in this moment right now is just thank God. Thank Him for His willingness to help. For His willingness to help and to pour into you. And to shower you with grace and mercy. To shower you with the good things. Come on, it's not just right now in this moment. But when you wake up tomorrow, uh, that good God is going to be there with grace and mercy for your day. Oh, if we just recognize how good He is in our life how many ways that he touches us and how many ways he quickens us and leads us away from danger you know where I am God and you know what I need to hear Lord and you speak it and release it Lord and I'm thankful for every word 
every word that you send my way that reminds me of who you are and who I am and that your, your unconditional love towards me is always ready and always willing to reach into my mess and help. So I thank you. Come on, now, let's lift up a shout of gratitude to God today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your willingness to love me. Oh, to love me when I can't seem to love myself. Oh, to shower your grace on me when I can't find it for myself, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. thankful that I can shed tears and he sees them. I can shed tears and he sees him, but one day, one day he will wipe away those tears. Uh, for now we weep. Ah, but weeping may endure for the night. Hallelujah. Come on. Your weeping, your circumstance is not the end. Come on, there is joy on the horizon. Ah, there is joy that's coming. Your situation is not the end. Lord, the society might have, might have uh, written off your family. The society might have cast out your family and might have labeled them uh, unfixable. But God is saying, I can take uh, what society throws away and raise it up uh, into a mighty vessel that's solid, that's constant, that's whole. I can heal. I can release. Come on, David was, there were times that David was depressed. There were times that David was discouraged. But he never left it like that. Come on, you might have a season of discouragement or depression. Don't leave it like that. Don't let it build. Don't let it grow. What you need to let grow is your faith and your confidence in Almighty God that He knows where you are. I'm not going to leave it like that because I know he's faithful. He's the faithful God who keeps covenant with them that love him. Oh, I love him. I love him today. I thank you, Jesus, and everything give thanks. It is the will of God. It is the will of God for us to give thanks in everything. That means all the trouble. It means all the, all the tears of frustration. You know, all the things that come to us in this life. I'm going to thank you, Lord, uh, that you haven't removed your hand from me. I'm going to thank you, Lord, that, you, that I still know who you are. And even in my pain, even in my suffering, there is fellowship. I appreciate what we have heard today. Amen. You appreciate the word of the Lord today. Amen. 
God is good. We have to understand. We have to understand that, right? We serve a good God who is mindful of us. And he wants to fill us. He wants to fill us, right? They that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. It's a promise, right? We just have to make sure we're hungering and thirsting for Him. He'll fill us. It's coming. It's coming. Just like the promise of the Holy Ghost. It's coming. The filling is coming. Right? He satisfieth the longings, longing soul and He filleth the, uh, he filleth the, the hungry soul with goodness. He filleth. He filleth. Amen. I'm thankful that I'm hungry. I never want to lose that. I never want to lose that hunger. You have to be hungry. You have to make yourself hungry. Don't wait for God to do it for you. He'll help you. But you, you, you get hungry. You get hungry for God and you'll see God do things in your life you never thought were possible. Amen. I'm thankful today. Thankful today for my, my friend, Brother Bobby Kilman, and uh, the word of the Lord today. Amen. Were you richly blessed by the word of the Lord today? Amen. I encourage you, if our, po if our live stream has been um, non-glitchy, uh, go back and revisit uh, these messages. And, you know, I think, I think there are times that we just need to go back and listen again. Take one more trip. You know, if a word ministers to you in a way, I think you should go back and revisit. Don't let those words slip from you because God's trying to inject something into your spirit. And uh, sometimes it takes repetition, right, for us to get, oh, wow, yeah, I missed that one. And I'm thankful for the, the revelation, the encounter, you know, our encounter with the Lord. is. Uh, and I th as he was talking about that, I remember, you know, brought me back to why, why this whole 40 days of prayer started. It was the encounter that Moses had with God on the mountain when he absorbed the glory of God. Amen. It was the encounter that he, he said because he talked with him. Amen. God bless you. Love and appreciate you. I have an announcement to make. Um, we've been invited, Our part of our praise team has been invited to take part in a community event this Saturday. And we want to welcome you all to come out and support us. So at from 3 to 5 p.m. behind the courthouse in Winchester here, there's an event, Jesus in the Streets, and we have been invited to sing there. And it could not be more perfect timing. Our 40 days ends on Friday and Saturday. We are going to be declaring the name of Jesus in the streets of Winchester. And so we ask that you would pray for us. I do not think it is coincidence that the date has fallen. We've been talking about this event for a while, but we had some, there were some challenges in the county getting it scheduled um, but I don't think it's coincidence that it's fallen when it has fallen so this Saturday November the 13th from 3 to 5 p.m. behind the courthouse in Winchester um, there's going to be a couple of different churches taking part in this event and we get to be one of them and we're going to declare the name of Jesus so we want you to come out and support us pray for us pray that God will do some miraculous things. We've been, I've been praying some very specific prayers in these 40 days, and I'm ready for, to see God answer those prayers. And I think that some of those prayers can be answered 
this Saturday. And don't forget, we've got until Friday for our 40 days of prayer. We're going to be meeting right here at the church for prayer at 7 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday night. Of course, we'll have our regularly scheduled service at 715. Amen. Now, on that, on that note, uh, can, I, can I get you to do something with me that Friday? Will you fast? Will you fast and pray with me for Saturday? Amen. I think we ought to, we ought to approach this with expectancy. And if the church would get behind this event here and we'd show up and show, I'm telling you, there, there'd be conversations in the street. There'd be opportunity. And I think what we need to do is we need to, we need to prepare for it. Prepare for it. When we go out there, guess what? We're going to be looking we're going to be looking for the people that God wants to take us, lead us to. Amen. We're going to be fasting and praying for this event. And uh, who knows, right? But God does. He knows who's going to be there, right? And he can direct our steps right to that person and give us a word fitly spoken uh, that will change their, that will alter their course, right? It would redirect them, you know. And why don't we shower uh, this event with prayer and fasting? And, and let's let's support this event. It would be wonderful to see all of you out there. Amen. And it would also be wonderful to see all you out there mingling and reaching and talking, getting phone numbers and and, uh, you know, making connections. Let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's go. Let's go eat a burger. Let's talk about Jesus because he's the only thing we're talking about. Right. <laughs> all right. So this Saturday, let's let's uh, let's.